Uh, with that, I have the privilege of bringing us God's Word today. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to the book of Mark, we're looking at chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 40 to 45. Okay, Mark 1, verses 40 to 45. If you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading uh, from the NIV. This is the reading of God's word. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Amen. Uh, last week, uh, we launched a new series in the book of Mark called, Who Do You Say That I Am? And... Uh, uh, over the next couple of months, we're working through various passages in Mark's gospel, and we're asking the question, who is the real Jesus? Because, uh, you know, I talked about this last week. Uh, a lot of us have a version of Jesus that we've crafted in our minds, uh, a version of Jesus that we've kind of, um, that we've either inherited or we've created over the years. Uh, but what we're hopefully going to see over the next couple of months is that Jesus is never who, who we expect him to be and often never who we want him to be. Okay, and, and today uh, we're looking at one of Jesus' earliest miracles, and I think it's one of the most profound of all of Jesus' miracles recorded in the Gospels. And um, here we have a story of a man who has an extremely contagious disease, uh, who has been forced to quarantine from society, who has basically been uh, stripped of, you know, everything he needs to live a normal life, who's been isolated from family and friends and from his worshiping community. Um, and so for anyone who tells you that the Bible is irrelevant to 2021, I mean, have them read this passage because, I mean, we are living Mark 1 right now, okay? And, and the story begins with the words, a man with leprosy came to him, okay? Hard stop there because you could preach an entire sermon on that one phrase, a man with leprosy came to him. Now, uh, leprosy could refer to a whole slew of skin diseases that were widespread during that time, but to kind of understand the scandalousness of what this man did by coming to Jesus, you actually have to go back to the book of Leviticus, uh, to chapters 13 and 14, where you get a clear outline of how you were supposed to treat people with leprosy. Okay, and so when you go back to Leviticus 13, what you read is that basically uh, if you found like a rash or a spot on your skin, uh, you would basically have to go see a priest. The priest would examine you, and then you'd have to quarantine for seven days. Okay? After the seven-day quarantine, uh, you'd have to go back to the priest. Okay? You'd have to be examined for COVID again. I mean leprosy. Okay, leprosy again. Um, and then basically he would tell you if the rash or spot was going away uh, that you were clean and that now you could go back to living a normal life. Um, if the rash or spot had gotten worse in the past seven days, he would pronounce you unclean and he would mark you as, as, as having a defiling disease. And then you'd basically have to live alone outside the camp for pretty much for the rest of your life. 
okay? Um, now, the thing is, is to make sure everyone in the community knew to avoid you, to make sure everyone knew that, okay, this person has a defiling disease. They had very specific guidelines that you had to follow. So you basically had to wear rags for clothes. Uh, you couldn't wash or brush your hair. You had to uh, cover the lower part of your face. Okay, I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the Bible. Um, and maybe the most humiliating um, part of this was that every time you entered a public space, you know, any time you were coming into a space with a lot of people, you had to keep your mouth covered and you had to yell out, unclean, unclean. You got to think about the, the humiliation and, and the loneliness of that. You know, you had to yell out, unclean and un unclean, so that people could get out of the way. Children were terrified of you. They were taught to avoid you at all costs. Uh, you couldn't touch anyone. Uh, you couldn't talk to anyone. Uh, you had to live alone outside the camp. In fact, um, if you were a leper and you got within 50 paces of someone or their family, they were legally within their rights to stone you to death. Okay, so this is the world that we're living in. So we have to kind of understand that to see just how crazy it is that this leper comes to Jesus at all. You lost your name. You lost your family. You lost your job. You lost your occupation. Um, the only thing that was worth mentioning about your life was that you were unclean. It wasn't just about a skin disease. It said something about you as a person. This is why the leper doesn't ask Jesus to heal him. The leper says, you can make me clean. There's a difference. Right back then, especially because the physical and the spiritual were so closely connected together, um, if you had a skin disease like that, people said you were cursed by God, that you were a threat to your entire community. You were like a plague to be avoided. Think about the loneliness and the shame of living like that. And I, and I think those of us who've experienced this past year, we've at least experienced a tiny fraction of that. You know, I, I talked to a lot of people over the past 18 months who've tested positive for COVID. And the common theme that I hear all the time uh, from people is that, you know, like, it didn't just feel like you were getting diagnosed with an illness. It felt like you were, you know, someone put a scarlet letter on your chest. Right? There was so much shame attached uh, to having COVID. You know, I remember an article that was written in the New, York, New Yorker back in September of 2020. And the whole point of the article, it was called the public shaming pandemic. And it was all about how uh, nowadays people are actually more afraid of the onslaught of condemnation they're going to get for having COVID than about COVID itself. Right? And, and, you know, obviously the, the issue is so nuanced and complex, but I think we can all agree that um, there is and, and there was uh, just a lot of shame around COVID. And you have to add to all of that just the inability to be able to see your friends, the inability to be able to hug the people that matter most in your life, to kiss your loved ones, uh, to spend, uh, you know, to, to be with your loved ones in their last moments of life. You know, we have um, a lot of healthcare workers in our congregation who tell me they've had to hold the iPad for their patients while their family members, while their kids, while their parents said their final goodbyes. You know, I, I remember um, last year around June, um, I was on Twitter and, uh, you know, I, a tweet just stood out to me. 
And the tweet was uh, by Lori Kilmartin, and she's a writer for The Conan O'Brien Show. And she basically used Twitter to document the final hours of her mother's life. And um, I think it was her way of coping uh, with not being able to be in the hospital room with her mother as she was dying. And um, that tweet um, was gut-wrenching and still haunts me to this day. And, and she says this. She says, so I'm just watching my mom sleep and cough in her hospital bed over FaceTime, trying to gulp down these last moments of having a mom. This is all happening so fast. And if you can imagine how painful it was for Kilmartin, I mean, you can only imagine how excruciatingly painful it was for her mom. You know, leprosy in Jesus' time was not just a physical ailment. It was complete emotional and spiritual separation. And so you can imagine the desperation of a person who would be willing to risk everything to come to Jesus, who would cross every social uh, custom, every tradition, every law, and he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It's not a matter of whether or not Jesus can. He says, you can make me clean. I know that. But are you willing? Are you willing to risk everything for me? Are you willing to risk your reputation? Are you willing to, uh, to take on all the consequences that will come with associating with someone like me? Are you willing to come near me? Think about having to walk into a church or having to walk into a restaurant and having to yell out the thing that you're most ashamed of about yourself, the thing that makes you feel most unworthy or unlovable. I mean, think about that. Think about walking into a restaurant and having to yell out, I've been a victim of sexual assault. I'm addicted to porn. I've been divorced three times. I'm failing as a parent. I'm a deadbeat dad. Let me ask you, what are the things that define you as a person that you carry around with you wherever you go and you don't even know it? You may not yell out, unclean, unclean, but I guarantee you those words are blaring in your head and your heart all the time. Unclean, unclean. And maybe what's the saddest part about it is that for most, uh, most of the people in our lives don't even know we feel the way we do about ourselves. You know, at least in Jesus' time, if you had leprosy, I mean, people could see it. They could see it and intentionally avoid you because they saw it on the skin. And that, that in and of itself is a lonely place to be for everyone to know your junk. But I would argue that it's just as lonely, maybe even lonelier, for nobody to know the real you. And we're masters of that here in Los Angeles. Put on some nice clothes, wear some makeup, put on a smile, post something funny on social media, nobody knows. Nobody knows how alone we feel. And let me just say this, you don't have to be alone to feel lonely. You don't. Some of the loneliest people I know are actually surrounded by the most people. For you single people out there, I know some people have told you just get married and that'll cure your loneliness, that's a myth. Some of the loneliest people I've ever met are married people. To be married and to have the one person that has committed their entire life to loving you, 
to feel like that person doesn't know who you really are, that's a lonely place to be. Now, for some of us, that loneliness, I would say, is self-inflicted. We put up walls because we, we don't want to allow people to get close. Uh, we don't want to allow people to see the real us because we feel like if they were to see the real us, if they were to look behind the facade, there's no way they would love us. For some of us, that loneliness is inflicted on us by other people because of the things we've done or because of who we are. Whatever it may be, I would venture to guess that all of us at some point in some way, shape, or form have experienced or are currently experiencing what this leper is experiencing here in this text. Whether or not someone out there is willing to get near us. This is what the leper is asking Jesus. And Jesus' response is so interesting. In verse 41, it says, Jesus was indignant. Jesus was indignant. Seems so out of character for Jesus and seems strange that, that this leper would ask him, you know, this leper would be on his knees begging Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And it would be strange for Jesus to respond indignantly. And in fact, the NIV is the only translation that uses the word indignant. Every other translation, uh, the, the phrase there is Jesus was moved with pity or Jesus was moved with compassion. And my guess is that probably most of the biblical translators felt exactly the way you and I do when we read this. They probably felt, ah, there's no way he could have been indignant. Let's just I feel like let's tweak this just a little bit because I think it was more that Jesus was moved with compassion and pity. But actually, if you read the, if you read the Greek, the, the most correct translation is this word indignant. So if we're to take this at face value, what does it mean that Jesus was indignant and who was he indignant with? Was he indignant with the man with leprosy? And to kind of understand that question, you have to go to the other place in Mark where this word indignant is used, and it's used in Mark 10. And in that scene, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a scene where uh, basically all these parents are bringing their kids to Jesus because they've heard all about Jesus. They want Jesus to lay hands on their kids and heal them, and the disciples are rebuking the parents. And there Jesus looks at this, and it says, Jesus was indignant and he says let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of god belongs to such as these so if you take these two instances together you can say that both times the word is used because people whom jesus loved were being prevented from coming to him i believe in mark 1 jesus is indignant not at the leper but at the injustice of a system that would prevent one of his children from coming to him, at the system that would make a human being created in his image feel unworthy and unlovable. And here we begin to see the great reversal of the kingdom of God when Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. He's saying, look, this world has labeled you in a certain way. You have labeled yourself in a certain way, but I'm willing to get close to you. And what he does next is probably the most scandalous thing a person could have done in that culture. He reaches out and he touches him. He touches him. We can't gloss over the impact of this moment. This is probably the first time in this leper's life that someone has moved toward him, let alone touched him. And we know that Jesus 
you know, we know that Jesus doesn't need to touch people to heal them. I think it's very intentional that Mark in the very next story uh, gives us the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. And we know how the story goes. Jesus heals the paralytic with the power of his word. He says, get up, take up your mat, and go home. So we know Jesus doesn't need to touch people to heal them. So why does he touch the leper? It's because Jesus is not just about our physical healing. He's about healing the whole person emotionally, spiritually, socially. He doesn't just want to heal the skin disease eating away this man's flesh. He wants to heal the shame eating away this man's soul. You know, one of the things I've realized this past year that I've taken for granted, and I'm sure you've realized this too, is the power of the human touch. You don't realize uh, how powerful a handshake, a high five, a hug can be um, until you can't do it for 18 months. Um, you know, my wife, uh, one of her love languages is physical touch, and she will tell you sometimes literally just an arm around the shoulder speaks so much more powerfully to her than a thousand words. And so you have to imagine what's going through this leper's mind. This man hasn't been able to hug the people he loves most. He hasn't been able to touch anyone. He hasn't been able to talk to anyone his entire life. You have to understand the magnitude of what Jesus does for him when he reaches out and he touches him. But you see, it goes even deeper than that. It's not just that Jesus touches the leper. If you read uh, the law in the Old Testament, they said that any time something clean comes into contact with something unclean, the clean automatically becomes unclean. There is no way something clean could touch something unclean and not ultimately be contaminated by the thing that was unclean. And so this is what Jesus is doing. He's not just touching the leper. He's saying, I choose to be unclean for you. He's saying, I choose to identify with your shame. I choose to identify with the darkest part of your soul for you. It's a foreshadowing of the cross, the place where the perfect spotless lamb took all of our failure, shame, and brokenness on his own shoulders and allowed himself to be treated as though our shame and our sin was his. Um, you know, a part of this story that often gets overlooked is the ending. And after Jesus heals the leper, uh, he gives him a strong warning not to tell anyone. Uh, and, and we've already seen, you know, even if you just read the first chapter of Mark, we've already seen that Jesus is not here for fame. He's not here to draw attention to himself. Jesus is always operating by a different set of rules. Um, and and, and, and G, when he, Jesus heals, the first thing he does is always, don't tell anyone. In fact, in the, in the passage right before this text, um, there's a scene where Jesus has just done all these different healings and people are coming to him from all over. They're clamoring to see him just to get a piece of him. And Peter comes up to him and he says, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus doesn't say, great, this is exactly what we wanted. No, Jesus says, let's go somewhere else. We got work to do. And this always confuses people about Jesus because you would think, isn't this why Jesus is doing all these miracles to draw attention to himself? But Jesus from the beginning is saying, I don't work that way. I don't operate the way this kingdom operates. In our world, when we do something great, we want everyone to know about it. Right? We've even created language about it. We do something great. We post a video, and what do we say? Go ahead and smash that like button, rate, subscribe, review it. 
you know, tell all your friends you want followers, you want fans, because when you do something great, you want people to get more of you. But Jesus already showing us that he's not who we expect him to be. He's not who we want him to be. And so, you know, Jesus says, don't tell anyone. He's singularly focused on his mission. Now, obviously, the leper doesn't listen to Jesus. Humans rarely do. And he goes out and he tells everyone what's happened. And because the leper does this, Jesus can't enter a town anymore because he's, he knows he's going to be mobbed. And I want you to get this, and I don't want you to lose this. In verse 45, it tells you what happens to Jesus as a result. It says, Jesus stayed outside in lonely places. He stayed outside in lonely places. At the beginning of this story, the leper is the one living alone outside the camp. By the end of this story, it's Jesus staying outside in lonely places. Do you see what's happening? Jesus trades places with the leper. You know, for someone who lived his entire life loving and serving all those around him, Jesus often found himself in lonely places. We see it throughout the Gospel of Mark, most notably in Mark 14, and Jesus finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he's betrayed. And the scene is very similar to this scene in Mark 1, except it's not a leper on his knees, it's Jesus on his knees. And he's pleading with the Father, and he's asking the same question, if you're willing. He's not saying, if you're willing, make me clean, because Jesus is already clean, but he's saying, if you're willing, take this cup from me. If you're willing, I don't want to do this. It's the cup of God's wrath. It's the cup of separation from his Father, from the one that he loves most. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me and get this. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus knew that for you and I to be made clean, there was only one option for him. And it was to go to the loneliest, the darkest place, the cross, where he would absorb into his own body the worst of humanity. And he would be cast outside the camp so that you and I could come in. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Let me give us just two applications um, and then we'll close. Number one, this morning, I bet you could think of several people, at least one person in your life who may not show it, but who finds themselves in a lonely place today. People who've been dismissed or marginalized because of something they've done. People who believe that if they were to show you the real them, that there's no way you would accept them or love them. People who've experienced abandonment, people who've experienced rejection and are desperate for someone willing to love them even at great cost to themselves. What does it look like for you to be that person? What does it look like for you to be that person for them, to choose not to define them by their worst mistake, to choose not to define them the way society has defined them, to choose not to define them by the way they've defined themselves, who in your life might you move toward? Who in your life might you reach out to? Who in your life might you commit to walking alongside so they would know 
that they are created in the image of God and worthy of love, care, and compassion. I guarantee you there's someone that's coming to mind now. That's the first application. Second application. Perhaps you yourself are sitting here this morning and you yourself find yourself in the lonely place. I know many of us in this room have been struggling with anxiety and depression and the pandemic hasn't helped. Where every day you wonder if anyone would care if you existed. Where every day you wonder, you feel like the leper wondering if, man, is there just something wrong or broken with me that's unfixable? For you students, college students, youth students, you are growing up in a time when it is not in to follow Jesus. And if not now, I guarantee you at some point to follow him will put you in the lonely place. For singles, I know it's been hard to, define, to be defined by your singleness. Where every day it, you just feel unworthy and unlovable if you're not in a romantic relationship or if you're not married where you go on date after date after date, you experience rejection, you give rejection, but at the end of the day, the net sum of it is that you don't know that, you know, this is who you are. For you married people, I know it's been just as lonely. You know, like um, this past week, you know, one of my friends um, commented on one of my Insta stories, and it was, it was such a, uh, you know, I think she was, saying this on a whim and saying this to be funny, but it was an Insta story. My wife was on a business trip for a couple of days, so she had gotten back, and I posted this story of my kids running to my wife, um, you know, to, to greet her when she got back. And one of my friends messaged me, and she said, man, I wonder what it would feel like to be loved like that. Broke my heart. And maybe that resonates with some of us today. For you married people, I know this pandemic has brought out the worst in us. Man, we, we didn't even realize we were carrying some of the baggage we were carrying, the family issues we were carrying in our own body that has come out with a vengeance. And many of us have severed relationships with our spouse that we don't know if we could ever recover from. For parents, I know it's hard. I know it's hard to constantly be defined by other parents. I know it's hard when you feel like you just can't be the mom or dad you thought you could be. And for all of us today, we may not yell it out loud, but my guess is that in our minds, we're yelling unclean, unclean. And for all of us this morning, my one prayer and hope is that you would come to Jesus. That this morning you would freely receive the grace freely offered to you in the gospel. Because the world may reject you, your family and friends may reject you, but if this story teaches us anything, is that Jesus will never turn away from you. All you need is need. Receive the grace freely offer to you in Jesus Christ, a grace that says, I love you exactly where you are in this moment. 
I love you with all your shortcomings, inadequacies, and failures. You don't have to get married to be loved. You don't have to be a perfect spouse or a perfect child or a perfect parent to be loved. You don't have to do anything to be loved. You are loved. And Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I look out at our community and on the surface, um, we look very well put together and we've gotten really good at putting on a smile. We've got really good at putting on a facade. But God, God, I just sense that inside we feel exactly what this leper felt his entire life, unclean, unclean, unworthy, unlovable, deficient, failing, shameful. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that they would realize that you will never turn from us, that they would realize today that you went to the loneliest place so that we would know in our loneliness that you would never leave us or forsake us, that nothing could separate us from, from your love and that you love us exactly where we are in this moment. So we pray that like the leper, that we would come to you in desperation and we would lay all of our burdens down at the foot of the cross, knowing that you will immediately reach out your hand and touch us, that you are always close enough to catch us. Father, thank you for the grace that you've shown us on the cross. The cross is our guarantee that you went to the lonely place so that we wouldn't truly be alone in ours. We thank you for this poignant word today. We continue to lift uh, the rest of our worship service to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.